0: Hey! It's like a magic trick. It's like dark and then it wasn't. What's going on? My name's Nick. How are you? How many of you have some idea who I am? That's it? Really? I feel like y'all should know who I am. I'm just kidding. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Mount Horeb. I work with the adults. I probably work with a lot of your parents, right? And they're pretty great people, but any chance I get to come to talk to high school students, I take it because I love talking to high school students. I think high school students are where it's at. A little bit about me. I got a wife. Y'all know what one of those are? You know what a wife is? I got one. Her name is Lindsay. She's fly. I mean, she's so fly. Yeah, she's smoking hot. Um, she's awesome. She's amazing. I got three kids. You probably see them running around here on Sunday night sometimes. Our oldest, his name is Rowan. He's seven years old. Then we got a little girl named Gwen or Gigi Baby. Uh, she's five. And then our youngest, Selma. She just turned uh, three, so full house at home, love what's going on there, but again, I am so glad to be here with you tonight. I'm from Indiana, like Trevor, went to high school together, believe it or not, can't get rid of him, it's like a growth or something like that, uh, but Indiana, people love basketball, am like basketball in the room? Okay, like four of you, so right, I'll educate you a little bit, basketball, yeah, I'm hoping y'all know a thing or two about LeBron James, y'all know who LeBron James is? Make some noise, you know who LeBron James is, come on. I mean, he is probably, without a doubt, the best basketball player on the planet right now. There's probably some Steph Curry bandwagon fans out there, whatever. Steph's good, but he ain't got nothing on LeBron James. LeBron James may be the greatest athlete who's ever walked the face of the earth. We got some footage of just him doing his thing. Check this out while I talk about him. This guy is six foot eight. Six foot eight. That's almost a foot taller than me. He weighs around 260 pounds. He has a 44-inch vertical. That's almost that's over three and a half feet. He could, like, jump over some of you, flat-footed. They've clocked him running at over 20 miles an hour. I mean, that's like a real-life superhero. The guy is unbelievable, one of the greatest athletes that ever walked the face of the earth. And here's why I tell you this. I got a friend of mine. He lives down in Miami, and if you remember... LeBron James played for the Miami Heat for a couple years, right, and won a couple championships while he was down there. Well, a friend of mine, he's a pharmacist, and while that was all going on, he became the biggest LeBron James fan I've ever met. I mean, he's, he's obsessed. He's got the sneakers, he's got the jerseys, he's got the bobblehead doll in his car. I mean, he's got it. If it's LeBron James, he's got it. Well, there was this one day, he was working out of this real fancy club. It was like a gym. When you're a pharmacist, you know what a pharmacist is? All you got to know about a farmer is they make a ton of money, especially if you live in a place like Miami. So he's working out of this real swanky club, right, and had a basketball gym in it, a little court. So he goes over there and starts shooting around. Next thing you know, guess who walks in? LeBron James walks in to the basketball court with a couple other Heat players during the offseason, and they're there to play a pickup game. My friend's jaw hit the floor. He just just, just sat there and stared at him. What would you do? But I mean, just he sat there and stared at him, right? And then, then I think because he was staring at him for so long, LeBron James noticed this weirdo, like, looking at him. He actually walked over to him and said, hey, we're about to play a pickup game. We still need one more. You want to play with us? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think he did? He told him no. He told him, no, I'm serious. He was explaining it to me. He said, you know, I actually met this guy that I've been idolizing for so long, and, and the idea of him actually inviting me out and playing with him, and plus he's just huge. He's like twice of me. I, was, I got too scared, and I told him no. Here's the excuse he gave him. This is just ridiculous. Here's the excuse. He said, I'd love to play with you, but see, i got to go home and let my dog out. What do you think LeBron James was thinking? I mean, he's staring at this guy with his jersey on. He's got his shoes on. And he just told him he wouldn't play basketball with him because he had to go home and let his dog out. It's ridiculous. Two things you need to know about that story. You ready? First thing is it never happened. I just made that whole thing up. You got to give it up. Right? That's kind of impressive, right? That's impressive, right? Made the whole thing up. Second thing you need to know about this story, I hope you lean in and listen to this, is it actually happens all the time. So here's what I mean. There's a big difference between being a fan and, and actually playing the game. This is certainly true when it comes to following Jesus. I want you to hear something tonight. Jesus isn't interested in having a bunch of fans. Jesus calls us to be followers. And just as much as Jesus wants you to believe in him and what he's done and who he is, more than that, Jesus actually calls you and I out of the stands and empowers us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. Simply put, here's the thing. If you don't get anything else, you're going to hear this out of my mouth over and over and over again tonight. Is that Jesus believes with his help, you and I, we are capable of doing amazing things, folks. We are capable of doing amazing things. It is so important for you and I to put our faith in Jesus. I don't believe anything essential lasting will happen in our lives unless we place our trust, place our faith in Jesus Christ. But also understand this. Jesus actually has faith in us. Jesus believes you. Look at your neighbor and say you. Say it. You, Jesus believes that you are capable of amazing things. I'm going to show you what I mean. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. I see some of y'all taking notes. That's impressive. Ooh-wee. Y'all going to bring your Bibles, too. Nothing better than smelling your Bible. You just smell it. Go ahead. Give it a sniff. Mmm. I think we need like a Yankee candle scent. Like a Bible. And have you ever noticed how your Bible pages are always like cold to the touch? Go ahead. Go ahead. Feel it. Feel it. Oh, it's so cool. It just feels great. It feels great. Mark chapter 6. We're going to take a look at probably the most, one of the most famous miracle stories involving Jesus in all of the Gospels. It's often referred to as the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, how many of y'all heard this story before? About Jesus. You know, it's the only only miracle story in the Gospels that actually shows up in all four Gospel accounts. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, before we get into the text, we're going to read a a big chunk of scripture. I kind of want to set the stage for you, all right? Give you an idea of what's going on. At the beginning of Mark chapter 6, Jesus actually sends the disciples. You know who the disciples were? They were the first people who decided to follow Jesus, to be a part of what he was doing in the world. At the beginning of Mark chapter 6, Jesus takes these disciples, and he actually sends them out and gives them the ability or the authority to start doing some of the things they've been watching him do for a while now. He tells them, I want you to go and I want you to teach about the kingdom of God. That's That's a biblical phrase, but here's what it means. I want you to go tell people about who God really is and what God's like. I want you to tell people what God is up to. In the world. And then he even gives them authority, he gives them ability to actually heal people and confront evil in every way, shape, and form. He sends them out. The text we're going to look at tonight, the disciples are just now coming back from that, and they're telling Jesus about all the amazing things that they saw. Let's pick it up. Mark chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 30. If you're out there, go whoop. I'm all right, verse 30. It says the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples, they came to him. They said, this is a remote place. It's already really late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Verse 37, but he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was around 5,000. Now, what you should know is for some reason in the ancient world, some silly thing, they only counted men. So that's not counting the women and the children who are probably there. Most scholars think that there could have been upwards of 10,000 people there. And Jesus fed them all with basically a filet of fish sandwich. You ever had one of those, by the way? McDonald's, filet of fish don't eat it. It's disgusting, right? It's nasty. But Jesus somehow feeds over 10,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Y'all should go, whoa. I mean, that's that's incredible. It's a miracle. But there's so much going on in this passage we could could unpack, spend weeks doing it. But there's this one verse, y'all, when I was working on this message, there was this one verse I couldn't get away from. I just kept coming back to it. And coming back to it because it blew my mind. Verse 37. Put that up on the screen for me. Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. Let's say that together. You ready? You give them something to eat. Just hold on a second. I mean, think about this. The disciples, they look and they see this massive crowd of people, right? It's getting late. They're hungry. They're tired. They've got no food. They've got no jobs. Their pets' heads are falling off. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Dumb and dumber? No? All right. That's just totally bombed. They look at this massive crowd, though. And they tell Jesus, Jesus, send them away. We got nothing for them. Send them away. Let them get something to eat. And Jesus looks at these knuckleheads and he says, how about you give them something to eat? You. Give them something to eat. As miraculous as this whole thing was, you know what's even more miraculous? Jesus believed the disciples were actually capable of doing it in the first place. Just think about that for a second. Jesus believed that with his help, these disciples had it within them to somehow provide enough food for around 10,000 people. I mean, if you don't hear anything else from me tonight, hear this, hear this. Jesus believes that you and I are capable of doing amazing things. See, Trevor told me y'all had an open open night for me to come and talk about whatever I wanted to. And so I sat and I thought, I'm getting real with y'all here, okay? If I could go back and, and get my high school self to believe one thing a lot sooner than I did, it'd be this. It'd be this, to realize, you know what, my life, I can do something with it. And that Jesus doesn't just invite us to sit back and wait to go to heaven after we die, but Jesus actually invites you now to be a part of making the world a different kind of place. Is that you? Even right now, you don't have to wait till you grow up. You right now can make an incredible difference in the world, in the community, and the people around you. I'm telling you, I'm a biggest knucklehead you'll find, but somehow, some way, Jesus has used me to actually bring change into the world—real change. Blows my mind. This is what I want to talk about tonight. Is, that, is, is this incredible thing that Jesus invites us into. Because, you see, like the disciples, you and I, even though Jesus invites us into, into amazing things, like the disciples, we sometimes have a hard time wrapping our heads around it. And we often miss out on being a part of the amazing things God wants to do in us and through us. And if you, if you look at the passage carefully, there's obviously a difference between how Jesus sees what's going on and how the disciples see it. And so what I want to do is take a look at that. Take take a look at a couple of the differences. See what we can learn from them. The first difference I notice has to do with how they saw the crowd. The disciples, they saw the crowd as a nuisance. Anybody got younger brother or sister in the room? Yeah. So they saw the crowd kind of how you sometimes feel about them. They're annoying. We're tired, Jesus. We're hungry. There's this big group of people. They just want something to eat. We don't got it. Can you just send them away? Can you get rid of them? What's really funny, though, is if you go back and read the passage, when Jesus sends the disciples out at the beginning of the chapter, he tells them, don't take any food with you. I want you to depend on other people sharing with you. And obviously, other people did share with the disciples because they come back and are telling Jesus about all these things they're excited about. Now here's what's nuts. In this passage, they have a chance to return the favor, to provide some food for hungry people, but they don't want to do it, do they? Instead, they just want Jesus to get rid of them, but not Jesus. Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, we're told in the scriptures that when Jesus looked at the crowd, he saw them as a sheep without a shepherd. And then it says this, Jesus had compassion on them. Now, the New Testament, the book of Mark, it wasn't originally written in the English language. It was originally written in ancient Greek. Okay, now, the Greek word for compassion is probably, it's like one of my favorite words in the universe, it's the word Splunknon. Don't you love that? It's like somebody should name a Rottweiler that. This is my dog Splunknon. He will eat you, right? This is a great word, though. This word literally means, check this out. This word literally means to feel with your intestines. It means to like feel in your guts and your bowels. And this sounds funny, but it totally makes sense. Like, like when you hear about somebody you love going through something really difficult, where do you feel that at? Ugh, right? You feel like right in your gut. People even have a phrase. It's like getting kicked in the gut, right, when you hear about something hard. This is compassion. It means to actually feel, to be moved in your guts. You know what compassion is? Compassion is about realizing that there's way more to people than the obvious. That's what compassion is all about. Compassion is about realizing there's more to people than the obvious. Remember, the disciples look at this crowd. They're just a bunch of stinky, hungry people that are getting on our nerves. Send them away. But not Jesus. Jesus knows the reason why they're following him around is because they've got some big needs in their life, and for some reason they think Jesus can do something about it. And so Jesus has compassion on them. This is what compassion is. It it, it helps us to realize and to know there's way more to people than what seems obvious. I just recently heard this story. But a guy who was on a subway in New York City late at night. And he got done with a long day of work, and he was heading back home, and they were at a stop, and all of a sudden, this guy gets on the subway train with three little kids. And these kids are just, they're going nuts. They're really loud, they're bouncing around, they're messing with people. And this guy couldn't believe that the dad wasn't doing anything about it. He was just kind of sitting there, sort of checked out. And the guy let it go on for a while, but he started getting real annoyed because these kids were just being awful. And he finally speaks up, and he says, Sir, are you not going to do anything about your kids? I mean, they are bugging a lot of people. Can you just get them to settle down? And he said, it was almost like the dad just sort of snapped out of this daze, and he looked at them, and he said, I am so sorry. We just left the hospital where they had to say goodbye to their mother who passed away two hours ago. And honestly, we don't think any of us know what to do. There's always way more going on with people than what seems obvious. 35 years old. It's kind of old, kind of not old. That's one thing that I'm learning about people. There's way more to people than what seems obvious. Some of you sitting in this room, you're going through some really heavy stuff right now. Not a whole lot of people know about it. We all got stuff going on, don't we? We all got our stories. We all got different types of homes that we grow up in. We've had different types of things happening to us. We've all got so much, a ton of stuff. There's so much to us that a lot of people don't even know about. At the same time, we got people in our lives who drive us crazy. You got anybody like that? You got somebody that you don't understand? Somebody who seems weird, strange to you? Like when you think about them, your eyes roll back in your head. I'm seeing some of you do it right now. Let me ask you a question, how much you know about them? How much do you know about what it's like to be them? What they have to go home to every single day. I found out a couple of weeks ago. This will blow your mind. How many of you are a part of Lexington 1 School District? Most of y'all? Yeah? Check this out. Did you know last year in Lexington 1 School District, there are almost 200 kids who are considered homeless? It means they're not living in their own home. Some of them might be staying with a different family member. Some of them might be sleeping in a car. You'd never know it. You want to know why? Because they don't want you to. But some of those people that we maybe like to point out, maybe give a hard time. What do you know about them? I've heard it said that it's impossible to not be kind to somebody once we get to know their story. I'm telling you, it's so true. But even when it comes down to being a part of, part of God's amazing right, the amazing things that God wants to do in our life. You know where it often starts? It often starts with seeing the people and the world that we live in, seeing all of that the way God sees it, and having our hearts broken for the things that break God's heart. About 10 or 12 years ago, I was an intern here with Trevor. where it all started back in the glory days when I was in college. I was an intern, and we had this group of high school girls who found out that there were a whole bunch of people in Africa who didn't have clean water to drink. In fact, did you know that 4,000 kids die every day from a lack of clean drinking water in the world? And this bothered these girls. It bothered them. It should bother all of us. I mean, there were kids literally dying every day because they couldn't get a drink of clean water. Does that bother you? It bothers me. They decided to do something about it. They started their own nonprofit organization called H2O. And these high school girls, we watched them over a couple years build several water yards in Africa. High school girls. That's unbelievable. I mean, these girls can can say today, they can say this proudly, there are hundreds of people alive because they decided to care. They decided to have compassion. They decided to have their hearts broken for something that breaks the heart of God. What about you? What do you care about? What bothers you? What breaks your heart when you look at your community, when you look at the school you're a part of? Do you know that there are some kids your age right now, they get forced into things like human trafficking. Does that bother you? It bothers me. I don't feel like it's okay. I think this is often where, where God's call in our life begins, by not being okay with something, by learning to see the world and the people in it the way that Jesus sees the world and the people in it. The second difference I noticed. Y'all still out there? You sure? Okay. Because if, you know, you're bored or whatever, you can... Still sit there, I guess. Second difference I noticed, though, has to do with what they believe is possible. The difference between what the disciples believe is possible and what Jesus believes is possible. I mean, as soon as as Jesus tells them to feed the people, you give them something to eat, the disciples immediately start going through all the reasons why they can't do it. There's too many people, Jesus. We don't have enough money. We're nowhere near any place for them to buy food. That just sounds impossible. It sounds ridiculous. We can't do it. They throw up their hands and quit. I love Jesus, though. It's like as soon as they throw up their hands and quit, Jesus, the first thing he does is he asks them, well, what do you got? Go and see how much you got. What do we got to work with here? And they tell him, we got five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus offers that to God. He invites God into the situation. And he expects God to show up, and guess what? A miracle happens. Because Jesus knew that with God, anything was possible. What, what about you? And ask another question. What do you believe is possible? Because this is at the heart of what faith is all about. Faith is one of those words. if you grow up in the church, you hear it all the time, but I wonder if we actually know what it means. Faith, you know what it means? It means that we, we're committed to living into the possibility of things. We live with this belief that, that man, with, with God, when God is with us, anything can happen. Anything can change. I told you I have three kids. Man, they teach me about this all the time. That childlike faith. You've heard that before probably, right? Like, for instance, my son, Rowan, one of his favorite things to do is draw. Loves to draw. In fact, we were drawing today before I came here. But he doesn't like to draw by himself. He wants Daddy to draw with him. And, of course, because I'm his daddy, he thinks I can draw anything. Right? But I can't. There's like only three things I can draw a dog, a duck, and a smiley face. And it's really all I can draw, okay? And so he wants me to draw something really big and complicated, like he's into transformers and dinosaurs right now. And so he's like, I want you to draw like a transformer dinosaur, Dad. Can you do that? I'm like, how about I draw a dog again, right? I'm always trying to talk him into something that I can draw. It's so funny, though. It's like when I, I thought about this, it's like when I look at a blank piece of paper, when he and I look at a blank piece of paper when it comes to drawing, we don't look at it the same way. It's like when, when my son looks at it, he just sees possibilities. He sees, hey, this could be a dinosaur transformer. Let's go for it, right? When I look at it, you know what I see? I see limitations. All I see is what it can't be. I'm just curious. When you, when you hear me, when you look at your life, What do you see? Do you see possibilities or do you see limitations? What do you believe is possible? Because here's what I know. I know you're old enough to have already been through some really difficult things. I also know you're old enough to have blown it really big time by now. Some of us have made some big mistakes, and we think those mistakes are going to follow us around our entire life. Maybe it's our family. Maybe our family is going through something really hard right now. Maybe it's your parents. And it's really hard for you to believe that things can change. I'm just curious, what's, what's the thing you've given up on? Maybe you've given up on yourself. Maybe you've given up on believing on what, what, what could happen in your school, what could happen here in the student ministry. Maybe if one of the greatest things that could happen tonight is that you invite God into that situation. And you ask God to help you trust that with God, all things are possible. Anything can happen. Anything can change. I mean, it's the truest thing I know. The truest thing I know is that God can take a bunch of knuckleheads like you and me and do amazing things with us. I mean, God believes, Jesus believes, so with his help, you and I can do amazing things. Now perhaps the biggest reason why we don't experience that is because you and I settle for less Than amazing. We sell out. Like, if you think about it this way, if your life were a movie, would you pay money to go watch it? Would you? I mean, like, really, would you? Or think about it this way. Like I love going to the movies, right? And you go to the movies and there's, there are those posters up They give you an idea of what the movies are coming out soon, right? the coming attractions. And they usually like summarize a little bit of what the movie's about to give you an idea, right? So if your life were summarized on a movie poster, what would it say? Here's John. He plays six hours of Fortnite a day. And that's it. You can pay $20 to go watch that movie? Here's Susan. She's trying to get 3,000 Instagram followers. Can she do it? Would you pay? T- I would not pay $20 to go watch that movie. It'd be incredibly boring. What's your life about? If your life were a movie, what would it be about? Here's what I know about so many people in high school. This is off the cuff. You know what they do? They peak in high school. Because they make it all about trying to be somebody in high school. You know what the scariest thing about that is? You can do it. I did it. A lot of people that I was friends with, they did it. And thanks to Facebook, I can go back and look at them now. Almost 20 years later, guess what? They still wish they were back in high school because their life never got better than that. They peaked in high school. They made everything about trying to be somebody in high school. They sold out. Jesus invites you to be a part of something way bigger than that. Quit trying to fit in. Quit worrying about what other people think about you. Quit selling out because you're afraid if you don't, people are going to think you're some weirdo. Who cares? Be a weirdo. It works out way better in the end. And it's a way better movie. <laughs> I mean, if you think about your life, what is, what is your life about? Is it about anything that matters? About anything that's going to last after those four years because Jesus wants to do amazing things in you and through you. It's the truest thing I know. Jesus takes ordinary people like you and me and uses them to change the world. These aren't just stories in the Bible. They're still happening today. In fact, 1999 in England, one of my favorite stories, a group of young people, high school students actually about your age, They got together and they decided they were going to pray 24 hours a day for a whole week. Somebody's going to be praying around the clock. They all signed up and they took shifts. So there was somebody praying every second of a day for 24 hours for seven days straight. And amazing things happened. They started seeing some of their friends who were far from God making destructive choices. All of a sudden give their lives to Jesus and turn it around. They said, we we can't stop praying after a week. we got to keep it going. They decided to keep praying until the end of the month. We're going to keep praying to the end of the month. Again, more amazing things started to happen. They saw families' marriages started to come back together. People were getting healed of sicknesses. I mean, it was unreal, the things that were happening. So they decided, we're going to keep praying till the end of the year. And after that, they said, we, we can't stop. we got to keep praying because all these amazing things were happening. You know what? They're still praying today. This thing started in 1999. They're still praying today, but not just in England. Now, what is known as the 24-7 prayer movement has spread all over the world. In fact, you can go home right now and you can log on, 247prayer.com. You can submit a prayer request and somebody in the world will be praying for you. It's given birth to all sorts of these justice movements all throughout the world. It's been covered by magazines like Reader's Digest and Rolling Stone. It's literally flipping the world upside down. You know what, you know Why? bunch of high school students decide to do something that mattered. My question for you is, why not here? Why not now? Why not us? You know what this community needs? A bunch of high school students who are aware of what matters most, who see the world around them and the people in it the way Jesus sees them, who don't sell out or settle for less people who are willing to do hard things, people who are willing to care, people who are willing to show up. That's what this community needs. And that's what I believe Jesus wants to do through you. We're going to move into a final time of worship. But I want us to spend a moment just sort of considering how we need to respond to this. And some of you are going to just blow me off. You are. You are. You're going to like, oh, it's fine, whatever. And you're going to go home and you're just going to blow me off. It's okay. i got a wife who loves me and three kids. I'm going to go home to her. It'll be fine. Some of you that are listening right now, I can see it. You're listening. It's sinking in. Let it stick. Don't settle for less. If you let this land, if you let this get in, if you hold on to this, I promise you won't regret it. Because before I was up here, you know where I was at? Sitting out there. And somebody told me the same thing. And for some weird reason, I decided to believe him. That Jesus could do amazing things in my life, and he has. About six months ago, I was a part of helping get a guy off death row. This guy had less than a month to live. I got to to learn his story and be a part of it. Now today, you know what? He's still alive today because of that. That's a pretty good feeling, folks. I've been a part of encouraging people to care about stuff that matters and have seen we've seen wells built all over the all over the world. I've seen a village uh, get their kids back over in in Africa. Whole village lost their children. It's a long story, but I got to be a part of seeing them come back home. How yeah, good that feels? It's pretty incredible. The truest thing I know is that Jesus takes a bunch of ordinary people like you and me and does amazing things. All he asks is for us to believe him. All he asks is for us to care. All he asks is to give him what little we have and trust him to do the rest. So for you, just if you wouldn't mind, just we're gonna move into a, a time of worship. And I want this to be really prayerful. So maybe even go ahead and close your eyes right now. I just want to ask you some questions. Let these land. Let these get in. First question I want to ask is: have you settled for less? Then God's amazing. Are you selling out right now? Maybe what you need to do tonight is decide you're not going to do it anymore. Maybe what you need to do right now in this moment is commit yourself to going after God's best for your life. Maybe there is someone you need to show some compassion to. There's somebody you don't understand. You need to take a step towards them. You need to get to learn more than what's obvious about them. Maybe there's something you've given up on. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's something your family's going through. It feels like it's too much. It feels too big. Maybe what you need to do tonight is invite God into that place. Ask him, God, help me to trust you that anything's possible. My hope for all of us is that we will accept Jesus' invitation to be a part of what he's doing in the world. To be a part of amazing. Let me pray for us. Jesus, 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 we need you. We need you so much. I thank you for this room of students, this room of young people, this room of world changers. Lord, wake us up. Wake them up. I pray that even now you give them dreams about what you want to do in them and through them. Don't let them wait. Make them meager to start now. Lord, I pray that you use them to start something, to start a revival right here, right here in Lexington. Something that not only shakes up this town, but shakes up the whole state. And who knows, maybe even shakes up the entire country. Just help us to trust you with what we have. And then to expect you to do something amazing with it. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.